Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT. Could you be banned from buying risky investments? We examine the latest regulations from the FSA. Should you protect your portfolio from inflation or stagflation? We look at your options as economic growth stalls. And would you lend money to people you don't know? We ask if so-called social lending can be an alternative to bank savings. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And Steve Lodge. Hello. And our special studio guest, Simon James, founding partner of Gore Brown Investment Management. Hello. So let's start with the money news. Last week, the Financial Services Authority imposed its largest ever fine for mis-selling risky investments when it ordered Barclays Bank to pay £7.7 million, plus £59 million in redress, to savers advised to buy a cautious or balanced fund. But this week, it seems the regulator has decided that prevention is better than punishment. On Tuesday, it published proposals for greater consumer protection and intervention before financial products go on sale. According to the regulator's chairman, Lord Turner, these interventions could include banning products altogether or prohibiting the sale of certain products to specific groups of customers. Alice, it seems another week goes by and it's another set of proposed rules. But these sound rather more draconian. What sort of products do you think could be banned? Well, they've basically said they're going to look at any kind of product that they think um, isn't uh, explaining the risks of itself very well to consumers. Now, um, if you want to take this to the extreme level, that could be absolutely anything. I mean, um, last week the FSA fined um, Barclays for selling two funds that were called cautious uh, to elderly clients who then lost a lot of money in these funds because they didn't realise how much they had in equities. Now, is the FSA going to ban any fund that calls itself cautious? I don't think so. Um, But they could ban certain other products that are perhaps um, more inherently risky. So we have these kind of unregulated um, collective investment schemes, uh, which tend to be kind of property syndicates. They could, they've already said that they're not happy about a lot of those. So these could go altogether. Um, then they have, the, the Treasury has a list of schemes that it doesn't like for tax reasons. Um, and it always says that it's going to look at these schemes. And these include um, 
uh, employee benefit trusts, the kind of things that are used by employees to kind of sort out their pension arrangements. So it's possible the FSA will get involved in these and, and ban these altogether. But, you know, as usual, they're not being drawn on any specifics. So it's kind of speculation at this point. Of course, and uh, we don't want to indulge in too much speculation, but I'm going to anyway. Um, <laughs> these products that you mentioned are um, uh, somewhat niche and uh, generally uh, only used by a, a relatively small number of people. What about sort of mainstream products that have come in for criticism, um, the sort of uh, the structured products that lots of banks sell, for mm. example, could they be on the hit list? I think they'll probably want to look at structured products. I would be so surprised if they banned structured products altogether because they're a huge money-making um, scheme for the banks. So I think they'd face quite a lot of um, uh, complaints from the banks if they tried to cut off this huge revenue stream for them. But they probably will try and make sure that they're far better explained to customers. Um, I was speaking to someone this week who said one rule of thumb when you're buying any product is could you explain it to someone else? And if you can't explain it to someone else, then you probably shouldn't be buying it. And for a lot of investors, that applies to structured products that they're being sold by the banks. Um, Of course, they're suitable for sophisticated investors that understand the risks in buying them, that if the stock market does fall by a certain amount, they won't get as much money. But But a lot of customers don't understand them, and I think they think they're kind of guaranteeing their capital in some way, which isn't always the case. No, exactly. And of course, I suppose any any products that rely on uh, derivative structures and counterparty banks Mm. that aren't immediately apparent when you look at the product, you know, again could come under uh, you know this this area of deemed too risky for the ordinary investor. Mm. I mean, this is another interesting point. What can you really expect private investors to know about a product they're buying? Because a lot of these um, products, structured products, cautious funds, they have all of this information in the footnotes about how much they invest in equities. And, um, you know, a cautious fund can have up to 60% in equities. A balanced fund can have 85% in equities. But should you expect, should you reasonably expect an investor to look at these footnotes? Or should you just expect them to look at the headline name of the fund, which is cautious, and just think, well, that sounds like it's not going to lose me too much? money. Yes, looking at the way the FSA is going, I imagine that it's going to go for the um, protect us from uh, what we can't understand nannying route. If that's possible. I mean, I doubt that, you know, they can give it a go, but I'm sure that this won't end in selling cases. No, this is not the last you're going to um, hear of this. and We'll cover all future developments uh, in regard to these uh, regulations. But for now, thanks very much, Alice. And for more on those proposals uh, and potentially banned products. Um, As well as news that Barclays is closing down its financial advice arm, look out for Alice's reports in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, would you lend money to a complete stranger? How about if they paid you 6% interest? Well, we find several websites that think that you might. First, though, inflation. Last week, headline UK inflation rose sharply, with the Consumer Prices Index measure up to 3.7%. As well as triggering a rush into fixed-rate mortgages ahead of possible interest rate rises, it led some discretionary portfolio managers to recommend moving out of bonds and into equities and commodities to hedge against rising prices. But this week's data showing that economic growth was negative in the fourth quarter, with gross domestic product contracting by 0.5%, has now raised fears that the UK could be entering a period where rising inflation is combined with stagnant economic growth, known as stagflation. According to one investment manager, pressure to hike interest rates would only lead to stagflation. 
And that very investment manager is none other than Simon James of uh, Gore Brown, who's uh, sitting with me right now. Um, Simon, how serious a risk do you think stagflation is? The way I interpret stagflation is that it's rather more of the 1970s, um, where there's a transmission mechanism from cost push into wage claims. I think that the probability of that recurring is very low at this stage. Um, I think that the inflation that we see is really caused by commodity price inflation uh, and tax increases. And if you look at the statistics which take those out, you can see that actually domestic price inflation is relatively low. Now, to look at this in in a bigger context, one can argue that the UK consumer, UK businesses, the UK government in the last couple of decades have spent tomorrow's money yesterday. Um, And we can see that if we look at the the total indebtedness of the UK, which is somewhere of the order of 450% of GNP, which is one of the highest numbers of any developed country. Now, um, one one can argue that uh, the focus of government fiscal policy and and talking about the, the levels of indebtedness there actually mask the gravity of the situation. And what we think is that over the coming many years, there will be a gradual deleveraging. And the deleveraging will take place at the household level and at the government level um, and at banks. Uh, and the banks' situation will be you know, also affected by the fact that they have to increase the level of equity that they hold. And, uh, and clearly that is going to take many years. You can't solve that, that very quickly. So in that environment, what sort of assets would you suggest I should be putting my money into? Mm. Well, the, so the, in, a, in a period of uncertainty, of course, most people want to hold some cash. The trouble is you get no return for your cash. So you know, what, do you, what do you do instead? Um, government bonds. Also, the yields are pretty low. And on the basis that you know, even though there's a suggestion of domestic deflation, the the, the inflation stats which are used will be higher than that. And so, therefore, there will be erosion of the returns on gilts. So one looks away from those. So should one be looking at corporate bonds? Well, the highest quality corporate bonds are really not giving you much of an excess return over gilts. And in many cases, the, the interest payment is lower than the dividend yield. So I think that's what causes you to move away However, you do need a proxy for those low-risk investments and the sorts of things that that we are looking at, and you have to look at them, I think, as relatively small parts of the portfolio, are emerging market short-term debt, um, social infrastructure funds, uh, credit, other ways in which we can provide credit, and and there are various funds which do that, Um, arbitrage opportunities, and those are really limited to hedge funds, so not for some people, Um, and very well-financed property. And finally, lots of people talk about gold whenever the the spectre of inflation uh, looms. Uh, What's your view on gold? Are you uh, a gold bug? I'm not a gold bug, but but to be honest, it's because I can't really understand the basis for valuing gold. the you know, for, for for several years though, um, developed economies will be tightening fiscally, 
and have easy monetary policies. And this will lead to concerns about the degradation of those bigger currencies. Um, And so uh, it's easy to see why people would continue to buy gold under those circumstances. Not traders, but people who who think that there is long-term degradation of those major currencies. Um, the problem that I have, apart from the fact that I that I don't know how to value it, is that everybody's got a reason to buy gold. Um, but I, if I think back to you know, when bubbles are created, um, if I think back to sort of the, the the dot com bubble, well, one could see that there was a bubble developing in ninety seven ninety eight. But it didn't actually burst until a couple of years later. And so I suspect that because there are a lot of technical analysts who who push gold, that gold could potentially go a lot higher, given my perspective on monetary policy globally. Um, And because there isn't really much of an alternative, the the alternatives that I prefer to look at would be um, emerging market currencies, um, the commodity-based currencies, but they're relatively small opportunities. You can't place a lot of money there. I think that you know, what would blow that out of the water um, for, from, from a gold bug's point of view is if the renminbi was to float, because then there would be a, a, a very large alternative. And I think gold would fall sharply, but I frankly don't see any prospect of the renminbi floating. No, although I, I, I can't see gold going much further, but there, there we go. Uh, I'm sure we'll get lots more views on that in uh, the weeks ahead. Simon, thank you very much. And uh, for more on ways to protect your portfolio from inflation, including some uh, model asset allocations, have a read of the money section of this weekend's FT uh, and our website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, so-called social lending. Viewers of digital TV channels will be familiar with advertisements encouraging them to borrow money from various friendly, helpful and incredibly expensive online lenders. But a new advert has been appearing in recent weeks for a social lending exchange, which matches borrowers with people who want to deposit their cash but earn more interest than they can get from their bank. This so-called peer-to-peer lending has been growing in popularity, but is not without risks, as the return you get on your cash depends on those borrowers' willingness to repay you on time. Steve, you've been having a look at these uh, social lending websites. Um, Which are the biggest ones, and how do they actually work? Well, Matthew, the one you mentioned that I think has been advertising on television is called Zopa, which is by far the biggest of... There's about five out there. There's one that specialises in lending to small businesses. So savers can put out their money and lend it out to small businesses. That's called Funding Circle. And then there's four, or maybe more that we haven't heard of, um, that do this peer-to-peer. I prefer to call it peer-to-peer. There's, there's sort of The suggestion of social lending is that in some way this people are more likely to pay up because they're borrowing from another person. And uh, I, I suppose people call it social lending because they, they think about uh, Facebook but mm. uh, I was reading this morning that Facebook is having to introduce anti-fraud measures based on getting users to identify their friends. And many of them can't identify their friends because they're not really their friends. Uh, and this is going to be a problem with this lending. You don't know who it is you're lending the money to. And that must, that must increase the default risk. Well, you, you, you have some information and the the platform, the, the sites themselves operate as marketplaces matching uh, lenders – 
the saver with the cash and the borrower, whether it's the individual company or an individual who wants to raise money. Typically, people are raising, looking to raise money, borrow money for, to buy well, I'm told disproportionately motorbikes, um, but also home improvements and so on. So it tends to be that kind of small personal loan market, really. Um, each of the sites talks a lot about its stringent credit checking and it then categorizes, typically categorizes the borrowers so that you can say, well, they're a C-grade borrower, um, I'll pay them that much, or I will, I will lend to them at that much and so on. Um, but you're right, ultimately, the issue is, um, you're exposed, your contract is with the borrower, albeit you're encouraged to spread your risk across a wide range of different borrowers, so with as little as £10 parcels going on to each borrower. Um, but when they don't pay up, the site will then chase, and then ultimately things like uh, credit checking, uh, credit chasing agencies and, and bailiffs and so on. Um, but this is what hits the return. I mean, and this, and this is the key point. This is why you can't compare it with cash. A lot of people are looking at these things as a proxy for cash, and that's dangerous, of course, because while opening a savings account is technically making a loan to a bank, that loan to the bank, that savings account, is, of course, guaranteed by the FSCS, and you've got certain terms and conditions around that interest, either variable or fixed. With these uh, marketplaces, you're typically being offered 8%, returns of 8%. So, you know, looks good, looks much better than that available on cash. But that doesn't take into account this unknown default rate, which, of course, could rise, particularly if we see a big rise in unemployment um, this year. Um, and ultimately, of course, that defaults will hit the return and could at worst hit the your actual capitals, meaning you lose money overall. So you should really be comparing the rates of return with, I don't know, sort of lower grade bonds or even sort of venture capital. Indeed. I mean, that's, that's what some experts say. They're a bit like sort of lower grade corporate bonds. Um, and they're, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe the, the returns are comparable. Um, but it, some people might say, well, OK, well, if I'm taking a bigger risk with my money, why don't I just miss out this sort of middle ground, this asset class? And don't forget, these schemes are unregulated as well. So your money's not protected. Um, there have been Big problems, I'm told, in the US. Um, and often it involves that these are small companies, small online services. Um, and one I was looking at yesterday, for example, borrowers have put up pictures of their baby, sort of asking to borrow money and um, saying it's for home improvements. And there's a picture of the baby. So it's clearly aimed at sort of drawing people in on an emotional level. And that, of course, is dangerous because the flip side of that may be that people are not taking a properly commercial view. I must give it a try as a potential borrower in that case. Um, Steve, thank you very much indeed. And for more on the uh, risks and estimated returns from peer-to-peer -peer lending, uh, look out for Steve's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you will find weekday news updates and all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve, Alice and our special guest, Simon James from Gore Brown Investment Management. Goodbye. 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 For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. 
Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.